World Rare Disease Day, held on the last day of February each year, is an annual observance to raise awareness for the 400 million people affected by rare disease globally. World Rare Disease Day 2021 falls on February 28th this year. Visit globalgenes.org forward slash world hyphen rare hyphen disease hyphen day for more information on how you can help elevate the cause and shine a light on rare disease patients and caregivers around the world. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. CRISPR is a powerful editing tool, but it works best as a way to knock out genes rather than correct them. New approaches to gene editing, though, are providing the promise of more effective tools for addressing the underlying drivers of monogenic diseases. A recent study in Nature of an approach known as base editing in a mouse model of the ultra-rare genetic condition progeria, a disease that causes premature aging, demonstrated the powerful potential of the approach. While CRISPR has been likened to scissors, base editing has been compared to the find-and-replace function of a word processor. We spoke to study leader David Liu, director of the Merkin Institute for Transformative Technologies at the Broad Institute, about base editing, how it works, and why it may offer the potential to treat a wide range of rare diseases. This episode is part of an occasional series on innovations in gene editing and gene therapy. David, thanks for joining us. Sure, a pleasure. We're going to talk about progeria, gene editing, and your efforts to apply a relatively new type of gene editing to treat this rare and deadly condition. Let's start with progeria. For people not familiar with the condition, what is it? So progeria is an infamous um, fatal progressive disease in which the, these children uh, who have the disease age very rapidly and experience uh, a variety of problems and pass away typically around the age of 14. How does the condition manifest itself and progress? So it... it uh, uh, is caused by a single one-letter mistake in the genome. A single C is mutated to a T in just one copy of a gene called Lamin A. And the consequence of that single misspelling, that C to T mutation, is that a toxic protein called progerin is made instead of the healthy protein called Lamin A. And the consequence of this toxic progerin protein is that it damages the nucleus in, in principle, any cell in the body. But the way that it manifests is uh, commonly by causing uh, symptoms of, of aging, even in children who are toddlers, um, and by eventually causing cardiovascular problems, including strokes and, and heart attacks. Uh, that are a common cause of of death in progeria children. 
We've seen the recent approval of the first treatment for the condition, but the prognosis for patients remains rather grim. What makes the condition a particularly good candidate for a gene editing therapy? Right. So like many of the thousands of of genetic diseases, of diseases caused by mutations in our genome, uh, progeria's root cause is really this single-letter misspelling in lamina. And the uh, the FDA-approved drug lanafarnib uh, brings new hope to patients, but like virtually all uh, genetic diseases, this treatment really is treating a symptom of the disease. It's treating the, the fact that the protein is toxic because it has uh, a greasy group called a farnesyl tail attached to it. And so lanafarnib is a drug that uh, helps impede the process of adding that greasy protein to th- that greasy tail to a protein. But in the process of impeding the ability of progerin to receive this greasy tail, uh, lanafarnib will also in- inhibit the ability of any protein that is supposed to receive this greasy tail, even as part of its normal health promoting activity, uh, to-, to do so. So like many of the treatments that are available to patients with genetic disease, these treatments, while they are important in improving the quality and the lifespan of patients with these diseases, they don't really address the root cause of the disease, which in this case, again, is that single C to T change. So uh, this makes these characteristics of progeria make it an ideal disease for treatment with a gene editing technology that can convert the T that causes the disease back to the C that uh, people without progeria have at that position in the genome. I think if people are familiar with gene editing, they're familiar with CRISPR, you're working on a form of gene editing that's known as base editing. How does base editing differ from CRISPR? Right. So, so CRISPR, as most people have heard of it, uh, evolved in nature as a bacterial immune system. And the reason it, it serves as a bacterial immune system to protect bacteria from infection by viruses is because CRISPR cuts DNA. It evolved to, to cut and destroy the genes uh, in viruses. And doing so is an effective way to protect a bacteria from uh, infection by a virus. So CRISPR-Cas9 has been repurposed uh, to serve as molecular scissors that can disrupt genes by targeting genes of our choosing instead of the viral genes targeted by bacteria. But the outcome of using CRISPR-Cas9 protein is still the same in human cells as it is in bacteria. Namely, if you cut a targeted gene with CRISPR-Cas9, you disrupt the gene. If you cut a gene, you generally cause the cells to insert or delete mixtures of DNA letters at the cut site in an effort to repair the cut. And uh, the consequence most of the time of that cut will be disruption of, of the gene. So if you think about the mistake that causes progeria, simply disrupting that gene won't necessarily benefit patients uh, instead, you really want to to fix it, to uh, convert the 
the misspelled form of the gene that's causing the disease and convert it back to the healthy form. And so we developed a, a gene editing technology called base editing that achieves this goal. Uh, base editors, like the original CRISPR uh, system, can be very precisely targeted to a particular DNA sequence in the vast human genome. But instead of cutting the DNA, base editors directly rewrite one base pair into a different base pair. They actually rearrange the atoms in one DNA base to instead become a different base. And so we can directly convert that uh, TA base pair that causes progeria back to a CG base pair that is the sequence that uh, people without progeria have at that position in the genome using a base editor without cutting the DNA double helix and therefore without creating this mixture of this uncontrolled mixture of, of gene byproducts that uh, would otherwise just disrupt the targeted gene. Is the expectation that base editing could replace CRISPR as a therapeutic approach is one type of gene editing better or more appropriate for a given condition than another? I, I think different uh, types of gene editing tools have have different niches. Uh, the CRISPR-Cas9 form that I liken to molecular scissors can be quite useful if your goal is to disrupt a gene. And there are some diseases, including some clinical trials going on now, where simply messing up a gene, simply disrupting it, can have a therapeutic benefit. But for most genetic diseases and for most mutations associated with genetic disease, in order to benefit the patient, we believe that you, you need to fix the broken gene and turn it back into a normal gene or into something that behaves like a normal gene rather than simply messing it up further. So I think you have to be a little bit lucky in the nature of your disease and in the genetics behind your disease for you to be able to use a gene disruption technology like cutting with CRISPR scissors to actually uh, provide a benefit to a patient. But those cases do exist, and they are an important part of this new generation of, of gene editing technologies. The, the other important point that, that I want to make is that um, the, the first classes of base editors used the, the DNA homing machine from CRISPR scissors. Uh, and so CRISPR played an important role in their development because CRISPR enabled the first forms of base editors, at least, to accurately target DNA just without the cutting as, as the consequence. Uh, newer base editors have been developed in our lab and are being used uh, uh, widely now that don't use CRISPR, that actually use uh, proteins called tail repeat arrays to do the DNA targeting instead. And they have certain advantages like we can deliver these new CRISPR-free base editors into the mitochondria an uh, important part of the cell that has previously been resistant to CRISPR uh, because we can't get the CRISPR guide RNAs, the important component of CRISPR that programs their DNA specificity. We can't get those guide RNAs into the mitochondria. But we can deliver these CRISPR-free base editors, which are entirely made of protein, into the mitochondria. And that's enabled us to make the first purposeful changes in the sequence of mitochondrial DNA. 
earlier this year, you published a study in Nature, which used this approach to treat progeria in a mouse model. This is a collaboration you did with NIH Director Francis Collins. How did the collaboration come about? It, like a lot of science, it comes about from um, from some good luck and and from the enthusiasm of a highly collaborative community. Uh, the progeria research community is this very passionate, very dedicated community that um, uh, cares deeply about pursuing uh, any new kind of treatment. Because as you've pointed out, even uh, all the current state-of-the-art uh, treatments uh, don't offer a, a major increase in the lifespan uh, to patients. So I, I was invited to give a talk at NIH on, on uh, base editing. And uh, we had unpublished results at that time, uh, very new results, which normally I wouldn't even present in a seminar, uh, on, on our use of base editing in a single pilot mouse, showing that we could indeed correct the mutation at the DNA level and that that fixed the RNA problem and the protein problem associated with progeria. We didn't have any data on the lifespan of the mice. We didn't have any data on whether their cardiovascular systems were more healthy as a result. We just had this one mouse that we had injected one time with a base editor uh, that we uh, fit into two viruses and had shown that that uh, pilot mouse showed a surprisingly high amount of correction in a variety of organs. So as is customary before you give a, a talk at a institution, uh, including the NIH, you meet with some of the scientists one-on-one uh, -on -one before you give your seminar. And so the last meeting I had before my talk was scheduled was with Francis Collins. Uh, and I knew he was a progeria researcher, so um, uh, so I, I shared with him these uh, unpublished results that we had had success correcting the mutation directly back to the the normal sequence, and that we had even done so, done so in a in one brave uh, pilot mouse, uh, with some encouraging results. And he uh, got really excited, and he encouraged me to present that early data in the talk. Um, so I I remember going to the men's room, and after my meeting with Francis, and uh, installing the slides into my talk in the bathroom, uh, and calling and texting my collaborators to say. Uh, which at the time didn't include Francis Collins yet, and, and say, would it be okay to, to present these results because Francis is really interested in them? And they enthusiastically said, yes, that would be fine. And so I presented them, and right after my talk, Francis uh, proposed that we collaborate, uh, which was incredibly exciting and enabling to us because uh, it turns out that the Collins Lab has uh, one of the world's largest colonies of progeria mice. Uh, Francis's lab made a very special mouse model of progeria in which every mouse uh, that we used has two copies of the human mutated laminate gene that causes progeria. So they have two copies each of the human progerin gene. And that makes it very useful as uh, a foundation for a potential therapy because you can directly target the same human gene that you would be targeting in a patient rather than targeting a mouse gene and then trying to translate your mouse targeting efforts into the human gene, knowing that the human and the mouse genes, while similar, differ in a number of ways. 
this was an early study in mice that was published in Nature, but it produced some stunning results. What did it show? So uh, we we dosed mice with a single injection of our base editors encoded in uh, an adeno-associated virus called AAV9, which is a clinically used uh, FDA-approved uh, gene delivery vehicle. And a single dose of our base editor injected into the mice, in, into their bloodstream, uh, resulted in, in quite good editing. Uh, to, in many of the organs we looked at, say 20 to 60% editing uh, and correction at the, not just the DNA level, but the RNA and the protein level. But then things got really interesting when we started to look at more of the physiological impact of the treatment. We looked carefully at the pathology in the aorta uh, led by our collaborators at NIH who did an amazing job uh, monitoring these mice and doing necropsies and histology on, on the aortal cross-sections. And what they observed is that the, the aortas of six-month-old uh, mice treated with our base editor looked statistically indistinguishable from normal, healthy, wild-type mice with no progeria mutation, uh, which was stunning. In contrast, by six months, the the cross-section of the aorta of a progeria mouse control that we injected with saline, uh, those control mice uh, all showed the hallmark symptoms of progeria. They had lost many of the critical vascular smooth muscle cells that are needed for a functional heart. And they had an accumulation of stiff, non-pumping fibrotic tissue called adventitial fibrosis uh, that is also a hallmark of the disease. and, and then it was just a matter of, of waiting and observing these fairly large cohorts of mice. They all started out uh, with 10 to 12 mice uh, and seeing how long they would live. And what we saw is that uh, just as Francis's lab has done many times before, the saline injected mice uh, had a median lifespan of 215 days. So about seven, seven and a half months. In contrast, the uh, the mice that received the base editor injection, the single injection, uh, had a median lifespan of 510 days. So they lived about two and a half times as long as their saline injected counterparts. And in fact, they reached a median lifespan that approached the start of old age in normal, healthy, non-progeria mice. Uh, and as you might imagine, and I think we included videos that you can download um, a, from our paper uh, the the sort of vitality and the general activity level, the quality of life, so to speak, of the treated mice was much, much better than that of the saline injected control mice. They, you know, had after their at their first birthdays, they looked pretty much like normal mice, uh, and uh, and even. At 400, 500 uh, days old, uh, they were generally much better shaped than uh, than we could have hoped for. Of course, all of the saline injected mice died around 200, 215 days. Uh, but but these uh, base editor treated mice uh, were much much better off. And that level of of rescue of the disease uh, in an animal model of progeria, as measured 
by aortal histology, by lifespan, and by general animal vitality had never before been observed to our knowledge. So uh, we were incredibly excited by the results. And, and frankly, we were surprised how well it worked. What's known about the, the safety, if anything, at this point? Well, there's, uh, there's still quite a lot of work that's needed before we can know exactly uh, what form of such a treatment might be ready for human patients. Uh, mice, of course, are not human, so there's a certain leap of faith that's needed to translate these results into a, a child with progeria. Uh, but because the results were so promising, we're sort of taking two approaches. In one arm, we are advancing the treatment pretty much as we described uh, to the next steps towards the clinic uh, in partnership with our research collaborators and with Beam Therapeutics, a company I co-founded. Uh, but in the second arm, we've recognized that in the several years that have passed since we started the study, a number of improvements in base editing, in the viruses that we use to deliver base editors uh, have have been reported. And so in the second arm, we're trying to um, explore the use of all possible combinations of the latest uh, base editors and the latest viruses to see if we can uh, get an even better result. And then hopefully, if the, if the studies that might enable a clinical trial continue to look promising, we can bring whichever of those look the best uh, from the perspective of offering patients a better outcome. Uh, hopefully, we can bring those into the clinic. How broadly applicable might this be to other monogenic diseases? Well, that's really one of the, the most exciting long-term I think, implications of this study and other studies that our lab and many other labs around the world have begun to report using base editors to correct animal models of human genetic disease. Uh, in, in the many cases where we have a pretty bulletproof understanding that, uh, that a specific mutation causes a specific disease, uh, and for those diseases where we know that the base editor is capable of directly reversing the mutation back to the normal sequence, or at least to a sequence that doesn't cause disease. Um, in those cases, uh, it, it is looking increasingly promising as a way to uh, probe our ability to rescue the disease in an animal and hopefully to provide a blueprint for how to do so in, in human patients. So while there is still a lot of work uh, to be done, the, the field of gene editing and of delivery of these agents and of uh, diagnosing and, and monitoring genetic disease and, and understanding genetic disease in general, uh, these fields are moving so quickly that it's, I think, proven to be a bad bet to bet against the field. <laughs> and what's the path forward to making this into a viable therapeutic approach? Uh, well, uh, as I mentioned, there is a company, Beam Therapeutics, that uh, I co-founded along with uh, my colleagues, Keith John and Fun John, uh, to bring base editing uh, to patients to, to cure or at least uh, treat genetic diseases, ideally with a one-time treatment. So uh, Beam uh, has been working very hard to do so. They have many programs uh, that they've announced that uh, range from 
diseases in the eye to the liver to uh, to the blood and uh, many other organs. And uh, they uh, are a very vibrant and, and active and talented group of scientists and, and leaders uh, who are uh, really leading the, the charge to make sure that this research doesn't simply result in publications, but uh, also uh, ends up benefiting patients in some way. So how far might you expect to take this in your research lab? And, and at what point might the handoff be to BEAM? Uh, well, once we uh, have successful animal results, we or anybody really uh, have successful results using base editors in animals to rescue an animal model of a human genetic disease, then I think very few academic labs, and certainly my lab is not one of them, uh, are actually positioned to be able to run a clinical trial and to do all of the incredibly um, important work that's needed to make sure that uh, experimental drug candidates can be administered to patients in ways that maximize their likelihood of, of benefiting the patient and minimize risks. So I think that's a natural transition point to uh, have companies begin to, to take the, uh, the base editor and, and to try to uh, bring it into patients. Um, you know, and, and I think it's worth sort of taking a step back and, and uh, appreciating that even five years ago, uh, the prospect of performing chemistry on an individual base pair in the vast genome of an animal uh, to correct a, a mutation that causes a devastating fatal genetic disease with a one-time treatment using a you know, laboratory-engineered molecular machine uh, just seemed like science fiction and maybe even unrealistic science fiction. Uh, so, uh, you know, five years ago, we were still working on the first base editor. And, uh, and if you had asked me back then how long it would take before a base editor might be used to treat a disease like progeria in, a, in an animal to greatly extend its lifespan and rescue the disease at the DNA, RNA, protein, and vascular pathology levels, I would have probably guessed a decade or more. Uh, so it's it's hard to predict exactly how quickly um, all of this will uh, will reach the clinic and will start to have a, a clinical impact. Uh, but you know, again, I think um, I wouldn't bet against the field given the dedication and the talent of of uh, the thousands of researchers who are using these tools and who are contributing to the development of these fields. David Liu. Director of the Merkin Institute for Transformative Technologies at the Broad Institute. David, thanks so much for your time today. Thanks for your interest and for having me on. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and 
performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com. <laughs>